Hello, and welcome back to the Leadcast. In this week's segment, we have a collection of staff interviews along with a chat about dreams and a selection of conspiracy theories. We'll be having a chat with Dr. Stanley, hosted by Beckett, an interview with Miss Jenkins and what she did before lead. Autumn will be answering what is up with dreams. Gabby will have you questioning the world around you. Jersey has a segment about new teachers starring Mr. Dishman. Kick it off, Beckett. Hi, I'm Beckett Sollers. I'm a freshman at LEAD, and I had the chance to sit down and talk with our principal, Dr. Stanley. As we all know, he is leaving at the end of the school year, so we reflected on his time at LEAD and what's next for him, as well as what's next for LEAD under a new principal. I started by asking him about a high point that he remembered from his time here at LEAD. Yeah, well, um, to me, so there's a lot of metrics, right, that we that we continue to measure ourselves in terms of you know, how are our students doing? What are, what are our grades look like? How are we performing on end of course exams and AP exams and ACT and those kind of benchmark assessments that are so, so important ultimately to students moving forward. Um, but also of, of equal importance to us throughout have been survey data. So we do the panorama survey twice a year. Um, and so looking at what is the experience that students have in the building? Um, and so to me, throughout, throughout we performed well on assessments, um, which has been great to know that we, that metric has shown we're preparing students. Um, but we also, in the panorama, there's, there's two um, categories of questions for climate survey that we've always focused on, and that's teacher-student relationships and rigor. So. Um, we have, every time we've given the panorama survey, we've been between the 90th and 99th percentile for high schools across the country in both of those categories, right? And that's a hard balance to strike. And we, we like the term warm demander, um, for our staff. Like, like Mm -hmm. we want to warmly demand, push our students, support our students, to achieve and to learn and to be engaged and be connected to their community and all those pieces. And so um, to me, the high, many high points, but uh, certainly the consistency with which our students have felt, hey, um, people here care about me and they push me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's really, at the end of the day, um, I think important to preparing students to be contributing members of society when they leave us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm incredibly proud, and, and that I've always pointed to that as this needs, we need to continue to look at this and, and track this and make sure that that's the experience we're providing. Yeah. Next, we talked about what he thinks should be valued in the search for a new principal. Oh, uh, this is something people have asked me a lot. Um, And ultimately to me, I think what's important and whoever steps into this role is um, we have always had a very, the technical term is distributed leadership model here. In other words, we have, the approach has always been our facilitators, our students, our families are going to have, input and say into how the building operates. Uh, In particular, of course, our facilitators, our staff, uh, and our students. 
Um, and so I think to me that that's part of our culture and part of who we are and aligns to our overall vision, right? When we talk about empowerment, that all goes with that. So, so I think it's important that, that, that mindset and philosophy continues. Um, I think that it's important that I think the building's in a really good place to have somebody with a little bit of a different vision mm-hmm. step into the role of principal. It's I like think new ideas, new ideas, new, yeah. uh, new experiences um, to come in to continue to continue to propel the building forward. I mean, it's the lead innovation studio. Innovation is at our core what what we should be doing, and so. Um, to me, there's a lot of opportunity in having a new voice in the principal role. Um, but I also believe that, as I've said, an incredibly strong team is in place and really great culture. Uh, and so um, whoever steps into the role, I think, is going to have to be able to strike that balance of, of continuing to listen to and, and, and let others in the building help drive, but also to continue to steer the vision uh, and bring their own perspective. And, and I think that's, I think there's really a lot of opportunity in, in shifting leadership at this point. Then I asked him about what was next for lead as he leaves the building. Do you think that lead had made it as a school? I'm really proud of where our building's at right now. Um, and I, you know, if ever in anything we do in life, if ever we feel like we're, we're done and we're there, I think that's a, that's an issue, right? We can always do better. We can always, uh, improve upon the work we're doing. So when I look forward, uh, for lead and, you know, I'm going to be a lead parent, even though I won't be a lead employee, um, and obviously I'm, I'm very connected and close with many people here. Um, when I look forward for lead, I just see uh, increased opportunities for students to do authentic learning, so real-world, connected project learning. Um, I think we're doing some really exciting stuff with, with cross-curricular. I think we're doing some really exciting stuff um, with the project work students are doing. Uh, and I just I, I see more of that um, coming. Um, I also, frankly, I see um, more and more our students uh, taking ownership of their learning, but also taking ownership of the experience at LEAD and wanting to be connected and engaged. And so it's hard to predict what that's going to look like. But what I do see is one of the things we set out in our vision is a more empowered student community. Um, and I see that happening. And that's to me, is really exciting to see students leading some of what lead looks like moving forward. Next, I asked him about his decision to leave leave and how he felt about it. Was it bittersweet or melancholy? It's exactly the word. I think it's bittersweet. Um, and as he said, and as I said, incredibly proud of, of what lead is right now. Um, and enthusiastic and excited and curious to see what how lead continues to evolve. Um, it is a really hard thing to do to step away from that because I've 
I've poured personally, I've, I've poured heart and soul into this building, uh, as has our entire team. Um, and as you know, being in a position of leadership in the building, it's really hard. Um, the last thing, honestly, that I would ever want to do is let let my team down, let let my students down, the community, the district, um, because all thing you know, like like that's just I don't want to let anybody down. But at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of there's just a lot of you know I've I've used the term kind of like a lot of toll that the role takes. For me personally, this is the best principalship in the world and the best building in the world for I could ever hope to lead or be a part of. Um, and, and that hasn't changed. What's changed for me is um, the kind of cumulative toll and stress that, that the job requires um, being in that leadership position. Uh, as I get older, as my kids get older and I'm seeing the window close on my time to have them in my house, um, you know, it started weighing that uh, the time, the time and stress this job requires, is 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 a high cost on the husband and father that I want to be. And so, then that's my first job. That's my number one job is my family. And so, it just simply I felt like it was time, um, time to to shift focus more towards that and, and a little less towards my professional um, career. Uh, so that, that's a hard decision yeah, that's a really because, hard decision. because for 20 years as a professional, I've been building up to having um, more opportunities for leadership. And, and, and so it's hard to kind of step out of that. Um, but I also, at the end of the day, know that my first job is my most important one and it's time for that to take priority where it sometimes is taken back seat to professional obligations. Then I asked him about things he might miss about lead. He's been at lead for such a long time. What's it going to be like leaving? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've really started to reflect on this, knowing that, uh, you know, kind of knowing where the end of the line is for me in this role, yeah. uh, being the end of the school year. So... Um, one of my favorite things to do, honestly, is just to be out and about, to go into classrooms, to be in the halls during passing time, mm-hmm. morning arrival and afternoon dismissal, and just talking to students. That's that's wow. the connection with students is what I'll miss most. Um, it sounds kind of corny, but that's that's true. Um, and then just being a part of this team. This is the greatest team in the world. Um, and uh, stepping away from from this group of professionals uh, is really really hard thing to do. Um, again, this is my second job, right? My first yeah. is my family, so uh, it, it it it's time, and it's time. And I think um, I really believe that me stepping out of the role is a good thing for the building as a whole and for the staff um you know it's been it's been humbling many people have expressed uh you know that that they don't want me to go and that um you know students staff families and that's that's been touching uh humbling but at the end of the day uh, my sense is 
everybody's going to look back in a few years and ultimately say, this is, this is a good thing. Like we're in a really good place now, a couple of years down the road. Right. Um, but change is hard. And, um, and I think, and I think for me, I'll look back and say, this was the right time to make the change. Um, you know, without, without getting too like spiritual or philosophical, um, sometimes you just know, and it's hard to put your finger on it, but that's, that's been my journey, um, with this decision. For my last question, I look towards the future. I asked him about what's next for him, whether it's staying in a professional education setting or something else entirely. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm evaluating options. Um, may stay in public education. I may, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at opportunities there. I'm looking at opportunities in the private sector. Um, and I'm not sure. I want to be connected to education in some way. Um, uh, not sure exactly what that looks like. Uh, what, I, what I know is that just specifically, I need to step out of building administration role. Mm-hmm. Like, like that, there is a unique, um, it's a unique role uh, with incredible opportunities and, and, and costs. Yeah, uh, and so, so that's what I, that's what I know. Um, and ultimately I've been feeling, been, been working through that decision for some time and, and felt like the best thing for the school was to make a decision and to allow for for an announcement to be made and for a process to select the next principal to happen early this semester is the best, that's going to be the best thing for the school um, in, in, in every way. And so made the decision to do that without knowing exactly what was next for me, but I'm confident that it'll all be good and we'll land on my feet and yeah. And yeah. A big thank you to Dr. Stanley for that lovely interview and everything he did for us here at LEAD. We wish you the best in your future endeavors. Now on to Aiden and Ms. Jenkins. I'm Aiden Morris and... I'm Marnie Jenkins and I spell it M-A-R-N-I-E-J-E-N-K-I-N-S. What was it like being in the Army? You know, um, it was the best worst time I've had, so uh, basic training was pretty tough. I couldn't have any communication with any of my family, and um, I was away from home at 18, and that was tough. Um, I had a serious boyfriend at the time, and so leaving him was really hard too. And um, once I got out of basic training, though, I really enjoyed my training. I became like an administrative assistant, and I got to have some pretty cool office jobs. After that, I actually re-enlisted, so I enlisted for two years Figured I could do anything for two years, and then I re-enlisted because I got talked into it, and they offered me Hawaii. So I was in for two years, and then I was getting ready to leave, and my command sergeant major convinced me to re-enlist. He did that by offering me Hawaii. What did you do in the Army? Like, what was your job? I did a lot with personnel, and so when people would join our company or our unit, 
I had to um, do the paperwork to get mm. them all straightened out, make sure that their insurance and everything was worked out. They had their housing paperwork and stuff like that. So, so were your kids born when you were in the Army? One was. He was born um, in Hawaii, actually. It was my turning point. I decided if I got deployed, I had to really look at myself in the mirror and say, could I leave him? If I got deployed and I left the military instead of re-enlisting again. So it was like being in the military or teaching like first option, like whenever you were like a little girl, is that your dream being in the military or be a teacher? I feel like I've gravitated towards teaching my whole life. I taught swimming lessons, I taught Bible school and Sunday school, did all of those things growing up. I was in charge of camps, but I didn't have a plan for college. My parents, no one in my family had gone to college before, and it was really overwhelming thinking of how to pay for it. And so this seemed like a good way to get my college paid for and grow up a little bit. You were a swim coach at St. Joe's. What was your most proud moment? Well, it was a lot of fun in St. Joe because I got to coach both of my kids. So I was uh, the swim coach for the boys and for the girls. And so that was really amazing. I loved that. But my most proud, I feel like I left on top last year. Um, we placed really well at state. We were like seventh at state last year. And it was the first time we had placed really. And I had um, a lot of girls medal do really well. So it was, and two of my girls are now swimming D1. So it was, it was a great year. So that was the best year. If the position like opened up at South or Park Hill, would you try it? Probably. Yeah, I think so. What all did you do as the department head of English? Order books, order. I had to make sure that all of the supplies were ready. I had to help the hiring process. Um, and so I helped interview people and they would come into my classroom and teach. And we got to evaluate them to make sure that they did a good job. I listened to a lot of complaining, tried to put out fires. I was the buffer, so when people would complain to me about something or they had a concern, I would talk to administration and try to get it figured out. So, Since you have experience as a department head, would you apply for the principal job here? <laughs> no. no. I, um, I love the classroom too much. I don't think that's not why I'm in the school system. I mean, like, I, I love what I do. don't think I would enjoy being a principal. What, what made you want to come here? Well, a program that I loved, that actually, that I went to Platte County to be a part of, it was called Flexible Personalized Learning. And that was just this cutting edge um, type of learning that we started at Platte County. It was really exciting. I was working with excellent people. And then, kind of out of nowhere, they decided that they weren't going to have that program anymore. And it was crushing, to say the least. Um, I stuck it out last year. I actually applied two years ago to come here after that happened. After last year, I thought, okay, I, I can do this. I, I'll be fine. And it was just, a, it was really difficult to go back to a really traditional classroom again. I knew lead was cutting edge again. Mm -hmm. I just had to be here, so I feel like I'm in the right spot. How was that goose attack? <laughs>
Oh my gosh, I definitely PTSD. It was awful. It was awful. Geese are very mean and scary. If you've ever been close to one and their wings are flapping in your face and it was it was terrible. So where where were you running that <laughs> led to that? In my neighborhood it's called Seven Bridges and there's a bunch of ponds and so the geese are in the ponds and it was right after it was baby time so the goslings were out and I must have gotten too close and this goose attacked me out of I mean I'm just <laughs> running I've got my earbuds in I'm listening to music didn't even see it coming like and I fell off this embankment and broke my wrist so it was so the awful. goose just came out of uh, nowhere attacked me well yes I have lived I have cohabitated with geese my whole life and for this uh, particular one but I swear if I see geese I turn around and walk the other way <laughs> so that's it yes thanks Aiden now under dreams with autumn well, okay hello everyone this is the dream podcast and I am recording here for the first time ever my name is autumn and my whole segment is about dreams and how they work in the human mind now just simply getting started off dreams are one of the weird things in life they don't really they never comprehend or make sense whenever going through an actual dream like they're known as weird and it's interesting how they are actually a part of everyday lives and they make a difference and like how we see things sometimes sometimes um, how we interpret how our day is gonna go some people think that dreams like certain aspects mean something and that can depend how someone sees it or if they go into research now actually sometimes it doesn't like certain aspects into a dream don't actually mean anything so what this does is it doesn't mean anything like it's not like concrete evidence of course not everything is going to be concrete evidence because your brain is just working out memories that's the idea of dreaming your brain is constantly working through memories and sorting through things you need and don't need throughout the day and that's what makes dreaming such an important aspect of life even if you don't remember your dreams as like when you as soon as you wake up they instantly float away and you only remember certain small details however part of your dream is just your brain rapidly moving through things you have learned through the day and made um information something you might have learned in school something you might have learned maybe someone might say like oh yeah i really like this Thing. I always like I really like this color or you remember their birthday this can be your brain simply just sorting this out through your head making it into your like your real life memory so that's the whole idea of dreaming now how does that happen during REM sleep which is whenever you enter a stage of dreaming after like an hour and 30 till your whole body kind of like shuts down and your brain is working itself so what this does, it sorts through your memories, your information, and what happens during REM sleep is your eyes are rapidly moving. Even though they're shut under your eyelids, they are rapidly moving, producing these images. What if you like don't dream? Like people sometimes think they're like, well, I don't dream, I can't dream, or I've never remembered my dreams. You are dreaming. You might not remember it, it might not make sense or have an idea to it make sure you can process information this is how like people like sometimes they won't even like think they had a dream when they wake up sometimes that's a different story but you are still dreaming 
um, people say, like, if you do not dream, you can, like, mentally go insane because when dreaming, you're constantly remembering all that information. If you do not dream, it's nearly, like, impossible to remember or comprehend things that you've learned in the past so like dreaming is a part of everything and it makes it just makes up who we are as a person to remember things now getting into the scary side of things people have nightmares but like what about sleep paralysis sleep paralysis is a huge side of dreaming that freaks people out it's where you're laying in bed and you can't you wake up but you're not actually awake you're the idea of sleep paralysis is whenever the brain is in the middle of waking up in a sleep it's right in the middle of transitioning and you go into sleep paralysis now not everyone has sleep paralysis right but this can be due to a lack of sleep nutrition or maybe a little bit too much sleep and it can really screw with your mind and make you wake up after that experience because it's so scary and like that you're awake and your night is over now i've never personally experienced sleep paralysis i have never ever experienced it i know a bunch of people who have and sometimes people say there's like a pressure on their chest or they feel like they're choking and that has been done research that it is completely normal to do that or have something like that so if like during sleep paralysis it can be extremely scary but normal feelings or not being able to move is extremely normal which is what makes it extremely a bit more dramatic while in a sleep paralysis and like i said this can be due to lack of sleep loads of stress and just needing nutrition in your body it is dealing with a ton of things that you need to get your body in check and maybe it's not even that maybe it's just your mind playing tricks on you i doubt that though but to the next topic so there are types of dreaming now there is dreaming and passive imagination which is basically daydreaming you could also call it lucid dreaming if you can get your hands on the idea of lucid dreaming which will be further down um this is kind of like the free control you get to do whatever you want in daydreaming you get to make up the setting, the persons, the people, what is happening, it's all to your choice. And it gives you multiple outcomes of what you want it to be, and it's very simple. Dreaming illusions are kind of your actual dreaming. That is where you are dreaming, you're having these weird navy nightmares, or these dreams that you're like, I don't know, a lot of people like unicorns, lakes of gold, whatever. Those are like the regular types of dreams. And then you have dreaming hallucinations, which I would say falls under the category of sleep paralysis and where you're not, you're seeing things, but they're not real. That's what dreaming is. They're not real. People would like to interpret that sometimes it's real, like telling the future or deja vu. That can depend on what the dream is or what the idea of it is. Dreaming in general, right? represents unconscious desires, thoughts, wishful fulfillment, and motivation. Through a professor named Frude, people are driven by repressed or unconscious longings. This can be aggressive or even lustful. And this idea that like dreams sometimes are weird, but they're meant to be, and it's maybe the idea that something is behind it, like certain aspects. The, com- the most common dream alive is in a like being chased or falling. Falling is a key that something in your life is 
giving you maybe anxiety or a bit of anxiousness to push forward or get over that and these dreams can what they do is they give certain types of cues or it's more so reading in between the lines whenever you're dreaming and it doesn't it's a hard thing to and it also makes it harder because whenever you're sitting there and you wake up and you're like <gasps> and then you can't remember your dream you want to go back to sleep and try to remember but you can't and it's certain aspects but the main idea is your brain trying to comprehend what you learned the other day so your dreams also may reflect on your own thoughts or feelings let's say i don't know you have a huge task coming up or you have a huge presentation for work and you're you're like a couple like you're a day or two behind and you can already feel the deadline hitting you and you're just like oh my god maybe that night you go to sleep and you have a dream about even falling or being chased or just a very upsetting dream that just gives you some that makes you feel anxious and upset and that could be due to how you are feeling within the day it shows you it doesn't tell it shows you how you might be feeling or how it might interpret how you are now the aspects of dreaming what if i can feel something in a dream or i can feel a touch of someone or i can feel if it was raining i could feel the rain hitting my shoulders or if it's cold i can feel the cold on my cheeks or how it feels like simply feeling things in a dream which is rare it's rare it is whenever you're in a deeper level of dreaming it's when you're deeper into the REM sleep and this just means it's a healthy dreaming state this should be totally normal whenever dreaming it is simple and this happens to me all the time and the thing is about me i can dream really well i can remember my dreams like nearly every detail and knowing that it's normal to feel things or to feel emotions in dreams like a nightmare it's extremely scary a a extremely happy or interesting dream that you might want to go more in depth and learn about it and research it is very insightful dreams aren't always meant to be these nightmares and they're meant to seriously show you a path to go in life sometimes like a lot of people see their dreams as like i can do this in the future or as a reflection or a warning dreams aren't always just meant to be this something that happens every night or whatever it's meant to keep you healthy and keep your brain moving that's what it's meant to do however it is extremely rare to feel pain and to like get hurt in dreams it's a dream it's a figment it's not real and whenever you feel pain in a dream it's not going to be as dramatic or as it would in real life if i were to like let's say hit my knee against a table right i i could still feel the pain but to me i feel like it would be like a little pinch and it wouldn't be if i actually hit my leg against a table i would have that feeling for a little duration afterwards it is extremely rare to feel pain answers and i feel like dreams hold answers to our everyday lives we just the thing about the brain is we forget it instantly i feel like eventually we might be able to sit here and find keys in our dreams to push us forward in life motivation and i feel like in our dreams if we are able to remember them later on in the future it could be a huge uplift into the world because dreams play an everyday role in our lives i think that if we are able to remember these it would be an extreme it'd be huge and i think like that is my own ideas on dreaming i feel like that is that we could maybe go forward in because dreams are such a mystical 
thing in our lives that we barely know anything about. It's very touchy type of thing. We barely know anything about it. And I think that is an interesting way to put that. However, dreaming is completely normal. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to forget things. As long as your mind is pushing out memories and pulling in memories, pushing out information and pulling information in, it is totally normal to dream. And I think that's a good way to end this. I think dreaming is amazing and it's a part of our everyday lives. I have extremely crazy dreams and I remember them in full detail, which makes me just super cool and awesome. But that is my segment on dreams and I just want you guys to know that it is okay to forget dreams and to be okay with remembering your dreams. Everyone's different and that makes you who you are. That is my segment on dreams, Autumn Signs. That was very insightful. Thanks, Autumn. Time for Conspiracy Theories with Gabby. Have you ever thought something that you believe to be true, but it actually never was? This could be the case of the Mandela Effect. So the reason it is called the Mandela Effect is because many people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison. But then on December 5th, 2013, Nelson Mandela died, which confused many because they thought he had already died years ago. And a lot of people thought that, which is why it is called the Mandela Effect. But then here's where things get a little bit off. There was a book called English Alive, which was published October 1st, 1991. And inside the book, there is a quote that says, Nelson Mandela died on the 23rd of July, 1991. There are many theories people believe that goes on behind this effect. We'll start off with the most popular theory which is many people believe that we are living in a parallel universe. So that being said, perhaps multiple universes parallel to each other, but that's a whole nother theory itself. The other theory is false memory, which is the more scientific side and which most people believe. So false memory is a psychological phenomenon whereby an individual recalls either an actual occurrence substantially differently from the way it transpired or an event that even happened or an event that never even happened. This can sometimes be shared by multiple people. This theory most people find a little bit more believable than the other. And I believe that this theory could be a little bit more believable just because it is shared amongst others, which creates more people to believe in the wrong things. But now I'm going to talk about some other Mandela effects that has been going around recently. The first Mandela effect. So if any of you have watched Dora, she has a monkey named Boots. And many people recall eating the Boots popsicle. And there was even a guy that drew it out by memory. And the popsicle seemed to never exist. The second theory is the saying from Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall, when it's actually magic mirror on the wall. And third, some people remember Curious George having a tail, but that tail never seemed to exist. And the other one is the Berenstain Bears, 
Most, most people remember it being spelled with an E, Berenstein Bears, but it was actually spelled Berenstein Bears with an A. And another one a lot of theories have been going around is Mona Lisa Smile. Many people claim to believe that she had a very obvious smile, and some don't. And there are many arguments amongst this theory, amongst this Mandela effect. Another would be Pikachu's tail. Many people remember there's a black detailing on the, on the Pokemon character, but, they're, but in reality, it's just yellow. And now, I'm going to leave you with the question... Which theory do you believe and why? And has this ever happened to you? Ooh, thanks, Gabby. Now on to Jersey and Mr. Dishman. Hi, my name's Peyton Dishman. D-I-S-H-M-A-N. Um, tell me how you knew you wanted to teach. So I always thought in elementary school I was wanting to be on Broadway and I was going to be like a famous performer and it was going to be awesome. And when I got to middle school, I had a teacher whose name was Mrs. Sipes at Congress and I watched her connect with students and I watched her teach and I watched the look on her face when her students succeeded and I wanted that feeling. And I knew ever since probably seventh grade that I wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it adjusting to Leeds' teaching style? So Leeds' teaching style has been very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I'm still adjusting to Leeds' teaching style, um, but it's been fun. And all of the, I just graduated from college last year, mm-hmm. and so all of the new style thinking, project-based learning, personal um, learning time, things like that, was things that they taught us in college as like ways to help students better understand material and content. And so a lot of times what happens is you learn all these cool new techniques in college and then you go to a school who's not implementing them. And so you don't get to use them. But I've been very thankful because I came to a school that is implementing those and I get to see them in action and see them work with the students here. Who has been your biggest inspiration and why? Oh, goodness. Um, (laughs) My biggest inspiration has been two people. Um, The first one is my college advisor, uh, Dr. Gary Wilson. Um, And he just took me under his wing. He really taught me what it means to be a choir director and to um, to be just a good human and to take care of students needs Mm -hmm. and he always put the student first before the education he always put the student first before the performance and I thought that was really great and then my second one her name's Megan Hester and she teaches at a middle school in um, Nashville Tennessee and she has a choir program of 300 kids and if you can imagine 300 middle schoolers that's quite a feat and the way that she commands attention the way that she um, is like a warm demander 
I mean, it was the best example to watch in my student teaching, and so that was really great, and she's one of my biggest inspirations. All right. Um, what made you want to start up the True Colors Club, and were you expecting so many people to join it? <laughs> so the True Colors Club has been interesting. Um, no, I was not expecting <laughs> that many people, but um, I was told by other staff members that it was a need here, mm-hmm. and that... Um, as an LGBTQ person myself, mm-hmm. I would be the person to lead that, yeah. or I should be the person to lead that. And when I first started, I was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, 12 kids. And, and before long, 40 kids were showing yeah. up, but it was insane. And so um, I'm very thankful, and, and I just saw the need and heard about the need and wanted to fill it. So, Have you had to overcome any challenges about being a teacher so open about your sexuality? Yes, I have, actually. Um, my first job I had, um, I was in hired in December and it was a December to June and then I was going to start back again in the fall and at the end of the fall or sorry at the end of the winter semester sorry that's wrong at the end of the spring semester (laughs) excuse me um, in May I was called to the office uh, by my principal and he told me that he was sorry but I did not fit in with the culture at the school and So that really sat with me because I was like, you know, like I was just fired Mm -hmm. because I didn't fit in with the culture and you can take that for how you want it, but I knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know using context clues what that means. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was very interesting and I, and I struggled with it for a very long time. And and when I did my interview here at lead, Mm -hmm. um, I was very careful. I tried to be very careful with what I said or what I, um, how I presented myself because I was scared. Yeah. And then when I found that <laughs> that's not the culture here at all, like mm-hmm. I, I was ever so thankful. Like I can't even, like I can't explain in words how yeah. thankful I am that I am able to work somewhere where I can be 100% authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for kids to see as well. Yeah. Um, those are all the questions I have. Amazing. Uh, thank you. Thank for you. Me interview you. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys. That's all for this week's episode of the Leadcast. Thanks for tuning in.